Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Happy, happy Monday, everybody. I am so happy to be back after a funny, funny weekend in the world of sports. And that's where I just want to kick off today's podcast. Uh, In the meantime, also, we're going to have Broncos Avenue joining us, a new friend of the show who I've been following on Instagram for a long time. And you guys should absolutely go support his work over at Broncos Avenue. Um, The Broncos were in the news, and he is uh, one of the best. So uh, we did a podcast over the weekend that uh, we will bring to you here on this lovely Monday. Um, So that is coming up at the end of the show today, but for our A block, I mentioned it a second ago, it's the last day of August, or at least almost the last day of August. Yeah, we got one more day of August, but you guys might be listening to this on the last day of August or in September or however and whenever it is that you're listening and coming off of a weekend, there are three stories that I just wanted to kind of laugh at. Um, one laugh at just because of the irony, but the other two laugh at just to make fun of people. So we have some music for this as well. Would you guys like to hear it? You guys don't get a choice. Well, technically you could stop listening right now, but still let's bring in a new segment. That's technically an old segment because we've done this before in older years of the podcast, the funniest memes of the sports weekend. Yes, it is time for the funniest memes of the sports weekend, ladies and gentlemen, and non-binary peoples alike. We've got our first group here, which is, this is the more ironic one. We'll get to the funny stuff in a second, but the, the ironic one is the Indianapolis Colts and the Baltimore Ravens. And I picked those two specifically because the Indianapolis Colts and Baltimore Ravens seem to have caught a, a little bit of an injury bug. And now for the Indianapolis Colts, they are without Carson Wentz, Sam Tevy, their starting left tackle, who is now done for the season, Quentin Nelson, their, all, their guard, who we've talked about before with DSD, has made three All-Pros in his first three years in the NFL, which is easily a fast track for the Hall of Fame for Quentin Nelson. So they're without him, they're without Tevi, they're without Carson, they're now without T.Y. Hilton for weeks into the NFL season, and, oh, by the way, Sam Ellinger, their technical third-string quarterback, but could argue is their backup quarterback, since Carson Wentz is out right now, might play week one for Carson Wentz, but we're still waiting to see. Um, Sam Ellinger 
is now out five to six weeks for the Indianapolis Colts. And this is the second time in three years that the Colts have gotten caught by the injury bug. And I, I just had to laugh at it because back in August 9th, I guess that's not an in, that's an on specifically. I just realized it is this month. I made a joke over on our Instagram, but not the Comical Sports Instagram, over on the Take It Easy podcast Instagram, which you guys can also follow with the link in the description to today's episode. But I made a meme there that said, that, I, and it's true, I'm 100% convinced that the football gods won't allow the Colts to have a good quarterback as punishment for destroying Andrew Luck's body with terrible offensive lines. And it was the most popular joke that we've made there in three months. Went semi-viral. It's close to a tie with the uh, Miami Dolphins winning either six, seven, or eight games in nine of their last 12 seasons. The other three years are only 10, 10, and five wins, and they might be the most mediocre team in the NFL. But that's besides the point. The point to this is three weeks later, I never got so I never got a chance to use this joke on the main page. And then three weeks later, magically, we have the Colts again battling the injury bug. And I feel nervous for the people who are drafting Jonathan Taylor on their fantasy team because the bug is going to get them at some point. This is also, by the way, coming off a season where Marlon Mack tore his Achilles like partway through. And I was able to use the joke again, and it wasn't a viral one, but the people did seem to enjoy it over on Comical Sports because, again, the football gods are just cursing the Colts as punishment for what they did to Andrew Luck's body. The irony for the Baltimore Ravens is that they invested so much friggin' money into their offensive or into their wide receiver core, and now Rashad Bateman, he's out which is a tough break for them. Then, now, Sammy Watkins is battling injuries. Hollywood Brown is questionable for week one at this point, which might just be a questionable designation because they need to put something on the injury report. And J.K. Dobbins, done for the season, which, to be fair, Baltimore's star running back is Lamar Jackson, and this is not in the, like, meme, make fun of Lamar Jackson sense. Like, Lamar Jackson is the hack to the NFL where they figured out that you can use the quarterback and the running back at basically the same position. He is the hack to the league at this point. And so Lamar Jackson and Goose Edwards, which I've been calling him Goose for years now because uh, Gus Edwards, that sounds like a guy who's working down at the local CVS, or Gus Edwards is the guy who fixes your car. Goose Edwards, that sounds more like an NFL running back. So uh, Goose Edwards can fill in as their running back like three years after the magical breakout of Goose Edwards. And maybe it works out for Baltimore. I don't know. But I had huge hopes for Baltimore this year. And maybe this sparks a better passing attack. And obviously, I mentioned before, Lamar Jackson is their number one running back. And he's been their number one running back for two, technically close to three seasons now. I think Gus Edwards, or sorry, Goose Edwards probably had him back in 2018 when he played like half the season. But that's besides the point. Is that 
the offense is running through Lamar Jackson, and Lamar Jackson still has his weapons at his disposal, but now everyone on their weapons is either questionable or out for the Baltimore Ravens, except Mark Andrews, who, if Mark Andrews is your number one receiver, I mean, good luck to you. I mean, as you better supplement it with some Sammy Watkins and stuff, but that's what they tried to do, and now everyone has been caught with the injury bug. So that, I, I just had to laugh ironically at that. Like, wow, I can't believe this happened. Now, our other two memes of the weekend allow us to uh, bring back some old friends of the podcast. And this whole show is skewing back to nostalgia of... 2019 when we only had about 40 or 50 podcasts in our archive but we are skewing way back to 2018 content because you guys uh may or may not know this but the first podcast in the history of the take it easy podcast was the dumpster firearchy of the new york mets which was basically a meme that we did on Comical Sports at the time, back when we only had like 15,000 followers or something, which, to be fair, felt like a lot at the time, but in hindsight probably wasn't that much. Um, We had a bit where we created a map and a ranking from 1 to 10 of the New York Mets dumpster firearchy because the New York Mets it felt like every other week just had something terrible happen the funniest one was definitely Jacob deGrom having the lowest ERA in the sport and somehow having a losing record because he'd allow one run and then all of a sudden he would he would have one run and the team would score zero and that would get him a loss and so that was the thing that kind of sparked it and then Mickey Calloway, and then Mickey Calloway didn't age well because Mickey Calloway got fired, and then years later we come to find out that he was sexually harassing women staffers and reporters of the New York Mets while he was manager, and it ages even worse for the New York Mets, who are up to their old Mets dumpster firearchy ways. And so we created this map from 1 to 10, 2 being Bobby Valentine sneaking back into the locker room or sneaking back into the dugout after being ejected with a fake mustache a four would be everyone on the team getting hurt uh a five on this list would be probably a five or five or a six would probably be bobby bonilla bobby bonilla doesn't even make it to this list um Number eight on this list would definitely be Mr. Met giving a fan the middle finger, which is one of the greatest photos ever of Mr. If you if you're listening to this the day that it comes out, go to comical sports memes on Insta and you can see the photo of Mr. Met giving the middle finger because it's absolutely excellent. And then number 10 out of 10. Well, actually, no, nine would be when they failed to sell the team to Steve Cohen. Now, they ultimately did sell the team, but they were going to sell the team, then failed to sell the team, and then they were trying to bring A-Rod's group in, and they failed to sell to the team, and it took them like two years to try and get it right. But then they finally sold the team to Steve Cohen, and then 10 would be when the Mets minor league team literally had a dumpster fire in the outfield. in Behind the fence of their minor league facility, literally a dumpster caught on fire for the New York Mets. So that's the dumpster firearchy, bringing back the oldest bit that we have here on the podcast, because this weekend, 
the New York Mets had another one of those magical moments. And one that people wanted to, to like, see, it's Mets being Mets. Something people wanted to do that with is the is the Steve Cohen owner guy, you know him, Steve Cohen, who tweeted out like he can't understand how professionals are playing this terribly. And I felt like that was one that got overblown a bit. Like I don't think the players really cared that much if the owner was tweeting out because they kind of knew that they were stinking. And just for reference here, the Mets were playing four series against the Dodgers and the Giants, who are the two best teams in baseball. And they went 2-12 and 12 against said teams. And that's the, around the time that Steve Cohen was tweeting out his displeasures with the team. And they had been swept by the Phillies and lost 3 out of 4 to the Marlins a bit before that. And then lost to the Reds. And it, it, everything looked like it was falling apart for the uh, New York Mets. And so the Mets now find themselves 7.5 games out of first place. They are, I think, like five and a half back in the wild card. The Mets are definitely not going to make the playoffs, which just sucks because, one, they just gave Francisco Lindor a bunch of money, and this is Francisco Lindor's prime. And two, Javi Baez was a major trade deadline acquisition that they got for, I think, their number six prospect um, in exchange for Javi Baez and one of those relief pitchers from the, the Chicago Cubs. I can't remember who it is now, but... It's not really important. The greater point is that Javi Baez made the greatest headline ever over the weekend when he hit a home run, just crushed a homer to left center field. And as he was coming around the bases, he gave a double thumbs down to Mets fans, which, again, it's only a story if it's too, if it's with intention. Colin Kaepernick is the perfect example of this. Because Colin Kaepernick was willing to put his name on, I sat on the bench in order to protest police brutality and inequality in America for black or for African Americans. I am going to kneel slash sit for the anthem. Same thing comes forward is that uh, when Jonathan Isaac stood for the anthem, when everyone was kneeling in the bubble, he just had a terrible response for it. And so people kind of let him off like, okay, that's fine. But when Myers Leonard did it with intention, Myers Leonard kind of became the, uh, the symbol of white guy who is in the white guy in the NBA who's deciding to stand for the anthem. And it didn't help him with what happened next for Myers Leonard after he stood for the anthem. And so Jonathan Isaac just seemed dumb kind of standing up that way because he didn't give an explanation. Marson Lynch sat for the anthem, but he didn't give an explanation for it. And he sat for years. So they asked Javi Baez about it after, and he says, if Mets fans are going to boo us, then I'm going to boo them when they do good, where when we do good. And apparently Javi Baez broke the unwritten rules of baseball again, which is just the unwritten rules are basically just when you wake, when you make old white people mad, that's when you have broken the unwritten rules of baseball is when old white people get mad about it. That's when the unwritten rules have been broken. There's no way to know what's written and what's unwritten. But if you break the unwritten rules of baseball, then all of a sudden you are making old white people mad basically. But this is a different situation is not only is he making old white people mad, he's affecting the dollars now because Steve Cohen looks at that and says, oh no, you can't do this 
because we need the paying customer to have a fun fan experience. And if that involves booing the players, you know what? You get paid a lot of money that those fans are paying for. As if we've learned nothing from the malice at the palace and that documentary that's on Netflix that everyone should check out. But they literally issue a team statement. The team issues a statement on the matter. And it's one of the saddest things that I have ever Scene because of course Javi Baez can boo the fans because they boo him or give them a thumbs down. Javi Baez probably hates it in New York right now. He hates playing for the New York Mets. And so we have this magical statement from the New York Mets. Quote, in a post-game press conference today, Javi Baez stated that his thumbs-down gesture during the game was a message to fans who recently have booed him and other players for poor performance. These comments and any gesture by him or other players with similar intent are totally unacceptable and will not be tolerated. Mets fans are understandably frustrated over the team's recent performance. You can hear me saying this, I can't even explain this without disdain because it's so stupid. The players and the organization are equally frustrated, but fans at City Field have every right to express their own disappointment. Booing is every fan's right. The Mets will not tolerate any player gesture that is unprofessional in its meaning or is directed in a negative way towards our fans. I will be meeting with our players and staff to convey this message directly. Mets fans are loyal, passionate, knowledgeable, and more than willing to express themselves. We love them for every one of these qualities. And this is the most blatant play-for-the-money situation that I have ever seen, when in reality, not a single fan is going to stop buying tickets because Javi Baez gave some assholes a thumbs down. It's one of the dumbest things that I have seen And this is coming after everyone tried to crap on Fernando Tatis last year for hitting a home run on 3-0. This is genuinely flabbergastingly dumb. And as soon as the Mets are no longer in first place, they go right back to doing dumpster fireworky ways. I mean, come on. Booing is every fan's right? I mean, give me a break. The players should be able to come back at them. And you know what? You've got Mets fans, you're doing it to yourselves. The same way Giants fans did it to themselves by getting poor Ben McAdoo fired and not getting a quarterback in that 20, uh, 2018 draft that had five quarterbacks in it, which Josh Allen was available at the time. Just saying. Mel Kuyper had him as his number one quarterback that year. And you didn't get Josh Allen that year. And you then went to Daniel Jones. And you've just been mediocre ever since. You did it to yourselves, Giants fans. And you're doing it to yourselves, Mets fans. Because now you've made the organization go back to its idiotic ways of yesteryear. The final meme of the weekend is just Nebraska. Nebraska football. It's been a joke going since 2018 when Scott Frost first got there. It's just Nebraska football. And this is the thing. Nebraska, here's the simplest explanation I can give you for why Nebraska football is no longer good. No longer is there regional recruiting in college football. 
in the 1980s, Tom Osborne was bringing in people from Texas to play for Nebraska, similarly to what Oklahoma does now. But if you are a top recruit from Texas, first of all, you can go to any place in the country. You can go to Alabama, you go to Florida, you go to Ohio State. There's no more regions in recruiting in college football anymore. But say you're a recruit from Texas. Well, if you're getting your first choice, you want to go to probably Texas A&M or Texas or you can go up to the University of Oklahoma, but even then, if you want to stay regional, you can go to Baylor, or you can go to TCU, who have built... Baylor was in the um, Big 12 championship just two years ago, or TCU, who has been to a bowl game like four of the last seven years, and they've been good in recent past. It's been a while for TCU, but still. You can go to Oklahoma State. They've had eight wins or more for each of the last like 10 seasons if you want to go to a school of such. Um, and then you could go up to Kansas State. They've been a respectable team for a little bit here. Then you could go over to Missouri. It's an SEC school. Yeah, they're not great, but you know what? It's better than living in goddamn Nebraska. And this is the problem Nebraska's had with building a program is that Nebraska can't recruit at the same levels as other places anymore. So Nebraska ends up playing Illinois in week zero. And you, if you tuned into our Razor Rosenthal college football preview last Wednesday, you know we were making jokes about why are we talking about Nebraska and Illinois. They're basically the two worst teams in a terrible division, the Big Ten West who, you know, produces a new champion every five years and or produces a new champion like four times in five years. And every now and then they have a team who, like Wisconsin or Minnesota, who's just hanging around the college football playoff picture, but they never actually get a chance to get there. Same thing with Iowa. Sometimes it's Iowa. Last year it was Northwestern. Kind of go on a rotating panel. But Illinois just fired their coach, Lovey Smith, and hired apparently Brett Bielema, who we found out when talking to Razor. Apparently, Brett Bielema is the coach at Illinois. And Scott Frost is the beloved coach at Nebraska who's had some really bad losses over his Nebraska tenure. He actually has the second worst record of any Nebraska coach going back to like the 1940s or something. He has the second worst record of any Nebraska coach, hasn't made a bowl game in three years, and kicked off this year on a punt by the Illinois team that ended up as a safety. And I this is this is probably the funniest part of all of it other than just Nebraska. If you watch this video, the Nebraska punter fields the ball at the 1-yard line, falls back into his own end zone and gets tackled by Illinois for a safety. Like it's just it's like one of those boneheaded plays. It happens sometimes like the person who forgets that um a touchback that rolls into the end zone can be picked up. And so I think it was like Rex Ryan's last game with the Bills. Like they accidentally didn't pick up a kickoff that bounced at the two and rolled into the end zone and the Jets scored a touchdown. Like one of those like laughably funny moments. It it was genuinely incredible to see them field the punt at the one yard line, stumble back into the end zone and then get tackled for a safety. And it was the first two points of the college football season. It's two nothing for the longest time and then Nebraska got 6 and it was 6 to 2 and then Illinois 
just from the second quarter until the fourth quarter, scored four consecutive touchdowns. And again, it's not like this is like Iowa and Nebraska. Like, Illinois is the worst team in the conference. Preseason, they were 7th out of 7 and 14th out of 14 in the conference. They have a new coach. Their shitty team last year had even those shitty players transfer to other schools. Bielema's trying to recruit. It's mostly freshmen. They're not going to win more than four games this year. And lo and behold, shitty Nebraska lost to Illinois. And it's this was the peak Nebraska season with Adrian Martinez in his 17th season as the Nebraska quarterback and Scott Frost saying before the season that this is the team that's going to turn around Nebraska football. It was just laugh out loud funny. Not that I watched the game. I did not watch the game, but I saw it was 6-2. to two. I saw the highlight of the punt, and then I saw it was 6-30, to 30, and I smiled for like six hours straight after that because it's so good to see Nebraska be so bad. Any fan base that thinks they're good and has expectations but is actually terrible is a fan base to crap on. We do it in the NFL with the Bears, the Giants, and the Denver Broncos. And we do it in college football to Nebraska and in baseball to the Mets and sometimes the Yankees. But that was meant to be a seamless transition to talking a little bit about the Broncos and Gardner Minshew with our friend Broncos Avenue. So make sure to follow him on Instagram and follow Comical Sports as well. Let's talk to our friend Broncos Avenue. today or what's going on i mean we can talk we can start off with broncos but there's the uh, the wonderful gardner Minshew news that doesn't matter but is enough to just spark yeah. content for the day because there's yeah you know, so preseason i was gonna start off week. yeah so i was gonna start off by saying um i know a few broncos fans were talking about the possibility of trading for Minshew for just like a low round pick like sixth seventh and to see that this morning after we traded a six for teddy it puts a little bit into question because, you know, I feel like, honestly, Minshew isn't that bad. Like, the record doesn't replicate everything that he can do. I mean, he's an accurate guy. He's not, like, a really a downfield type guy, but I feel like he's, like, a guy who can, like, move the chains. And, you know, Teddy's is kind of the same, but I don't know. Maybe going with the younger option, that would have been better for us. But I know a few Broncos fans were upset that we didn't go with uh, Minshew at one point. Well, Minshew versus Teddy was the choice because I feel like they're both kind of – I mean, Teddy's, I would argue, is just a better quarterback than Minshew, but I think yeah. they're both kind of in the tier of, like, upper-end backups. Like, they're not like Colt McCoys where they're like, you know, any, everyone has a Colt McCoy as their backup at the very least. It's like one of those, like, ten guys that people actually want as their backup QB, like with Case Keenum and Jacoby Brissett and guys like that where they're like – Really low-end starters, but high-end backups. I feel like Minshew's still in that group. Yeah, so this is at the point where the Panthers didn't even acquire Sam Darnold yet. So nobody knew that. Uh, we kind of got the hint, but we, nobody knew that Teddy Bridgewater was going to be on the trade block. So this is the point where, you know, the draft didn't happen yet. Um, we never got Teddy, We didn't get Teddy Bridgewater yet. So I know a few uh, fans are looking at that possibility, but, you know, it's – it's in the past, whatever. We got Teddy as a starter now. Um, I feel like we honestly could have handled the situation a bit better. Um, 
I'm personally, I'm pro uh, Justin Fields. So I would have liked him right there at number nine. But, you know, it's like I said, it's in the past. We got to deal with what we have right now on the roster. Do you think you can name the 12 quarterbacks that have started for the Broncos over the last six years? Do you think you know them? Yeah, I, I think I have a pretty good idea. I was looking at that yesterday. Um, a lot of them, we got Kendall Hinton, Brett Rippon, Drew Locke, Joe Flacco, Case Keenum, Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch. Um, I said Kendall Hinton, right? I mean, some people consider Philip Lindsay to start that game. <laughs> but he's not really quarterback. So yeah, Hinton Hinton did complete one pass in the first half. That was his beauty. He got one pass completion. <laughs> yeah, and it was like that's all, folks. Yep. So, that, but uh, I was wondering if you'd worn it like a badge of honor. Is that your team's been basically the new Browns <laughs> at quarterback? Like you guys have just had this rotating door of quarterbacks oh my gosh. that haven't been very good. And I miss Brock Osweiler, but. Yeah, uh, it, that's you know, a I sad sentence. My... Just being missing Brock Osweiler <laughs> is a sad sentence. <laughs> He's the goat, man. Uh, behind Kendall Hinton, of course. Mm-hmm. But hey, Brett Rippey won yeah. the game against the Jets. <laughs> Yeah, he uh, he's had like an okay camp. He played pretty well against the Seahawks, but uh, Vikings he looked pretty bad. Um, I wouldn't be mad at all if we cut him, to be honest. But you know he's a, he's a smart dude. He just he doesn't have a really good arm. Um, he's kind of like a one read type guy. But yeah, anyways, the quarterback carousel of like constantly searching for a quarterback is just. And I remember when we acquired Teddy Bridgewater, I was like, "Come on, we just like seriously." I really don't want to go into this season with another you know veteran that's been playing for a while and starting for a while like we went through we went through that with uh case keenum joe flacco and it was like i really just wanted to see the guy that we could like get the most out of and like see if he really is the guy out of drew lock but you know now that i think about it honestly i feel like it's the better uh decision you know teddy he, he showed that he has a good pocket print pocket presence he's more accurate he doesn't turn the ball over as much and that's honestly what our team needs like we have like a top five defense in my opinion um his defense wasn't particularly good in carolina i don't think he got the best of opportunities there i know a lot of people talk about how he blew like game-winning drives but he wouldn't have to you know situation in the first place if defense wasn't giving up you know 25 points a game but i'm not too mad about it i mean either way i was going to be somewhat happy but at the same time I'm kind of relieved that we picked Teddy because I'm just tired of seeing like countless fumbles and interceptions. And from what I was looking at in camp, it looked like Locke really didn't improve much in his uh, anticipation, going through his progressions. And, you know, he was turning the ball over, not as much, but he still was. So it is a sign of just how much the NFL's changed, right? Where you have drew lock yeah. through like what 14 interceptions and completed like 57 percent of his passes or something and all yeah, of a sudden it's... that's not good enough anymore if if you can have a big arm but turn the ball over uh turnovers are like are way more costly than we realized and so yeah it's you know, very they, critical the broncos are going to bank yeah. on that you know, best chance top five defense and have Teddy just not turn the ball over. <laughs> just have game manage their offense all the way to like, you know, the 18th ranked offense, hopefully. Yeah, you got to, ha- it's it's a quarterback driven league. Like you got to have a good quarterback to make a good playoff run nowadays. Like 
um, with the occasion of the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo, but he still managed games well. But honestly, I hope we can do something like that with Teddy Bridgewater. We got a nice one-two punch with Gordon Williams, um, a really good defense. So, I mean, there's no reason for him to not succeed here in Denver. So he literally, this is, this is go big or go home for Teddy Bridgewater. And I mean, I'm expecting at least the playoffs this year. And if we can't do that, then it's time for Fangio to go. Well, Fangio's the favorite right now to be the first coach fired. So I think your odds are of making the playoffs, are at least from the preseason, not as good as everyone else's who might be firing a coach. So uh, Fangio, I believe, is the favorite to get fired first. And I think he will probably be the first coach fired, uh, maybe in like week 12 or something. Yeah, I think we need to at least like make the wild card game and win the wild card game for him to retain his job because it's not looking too good for him. His time management sucks in all reality. Um, well, and they have defense, a new GM, though, and so the GM might pick a new yeah. coach too. <laughs> yeah, I know he favors Fangio. He really trusted him with picking the quarterback for the the starting job. Um, I know they've worked together a lot through the draft. Um, they're getting close. I can see they're building a relationship, but at the end, at the end of the day, you know this is a rookie GM, and he just he wants to win and build his uh, resume. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Fangio has gone up to this season if we didn't make win at least one playoff game. Yeah, and Denver has kind of been in this weird purgatory because you mentioned trying to get to the wild card and. You know, for, you know, a half decade now, the the AFC West has basically been, how can we get to that wild card? Because no matter how good the roster can be, it's still not going to stack up against the Chiefs. And so the Chargers, Raiders, and Broncos have just kind of been rotating sad seven-win seasons for the past, like, half decade or so. And it's it's tough to be in that position because you know that you have – most times like guaranteed losses on your schedule, but the best you can shoot for is second place in the division when you're going up against the chiefs. Yeah. The defense, um, not the defense, the division is really, really good. It's very competitive. So you have to have a really good quarterback. I mean, you see the chargers, they, they made the right move. The chiefs made the right move and the chargers are likely going to be a good team for a while. And that's just another team we got to worry about in the division. So, um, the Raiders don't have a reliable defense, so I'm not too worried about them. Derek Carr, he's underrated, but that whole team is just, like, unbalanced. But, yeah, we have a good defense that's championship-ready. It's just, I honestly, the bottom of my heart, I feel like we just need, like, an elite quarterback to m- make that push. And it would have been nice to have Rodgers. Um, but, you know, that didn't that didn't pan out. Maybe it'll happen next offseason. But... Yeah, at the end of the day, it's kind of sad that we're literally just hoping only for a uh, wild card because of how tough the division is and, you know, how mediocre our quarterback is. How weird was that time for Broncos fans just kind of like waiting to see? Because Aaron Rodgers was connected there, what felt like just kind of by default of there weren't that many teams with a quarterback opening. And so it, it was a weird time where you guys were like, we don't think he's going to leave, but he's also connected. So we're hoping that things go wrong and he's not saying anything. Like, was that like kind of just a back in your mind kind of thing? Or was this like driving the off season conversation for the Broncos fans? All right. So I'll be completely honest. Um, I only thought for maybe like one or two days around the draft. You remember when the whole rumors are flying around that we're like setting the deal to the 
uh, Packers. But yeah. those are the only two days I, I honestly felt like it was uh, it might happen. And that was still like 50-50 for me. After that, I was like, yeah, I don't see this happening at all. And like the back of my head, I was pretty uh, – I had a strong feeling that he was – either going to go to a different team or end up returning to Green Bay. But yeah, I just, I posted a lot about it during the season to, you know, um, you know, update the fans and everything. I didn't, I never had any bias towards it. I would joke around and say like, yeah, we're getting Aaron Rodgers overnight. Just wake up and you'll see. But like, and honestly, I said on my story multiple times, like guys, it's not happening. Like I even have sources close to me that, or telling me it's most likely not going to happen. But, yeah, it's unfortunate. Aaron Rodgers is personally my favorite quarterback in the league. So, yeah, but it's whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's whatever. Uh, they're they're just hoping that something comes along. And even Justin Fields, like, I don't know if Justin Fields would have worked out, but I'd still just look at it and I yeah. think it would have at least been interesting. Like if you were going to give up on the Drew Locke experiment anyways, before the season started, which I don't think Fangio knew that they were going to give up on Drew Locke when they brought in Teddy Bridgewater. I think they probably thought Bridgewater would be the backup, but if you were going to give up on it anyways, you could have tried at least because Fields was sitting there at nine. They didn't even have to do that like trade up that everyone was projecting from four to nine. Yeah, it's, it's very painful to me because I I saw multiple people say on Twitter like it would be it would have been very ideal to get Bridgewater trade lock for some uh, good draft stock and draft Fields and let let him sit behind Bridgewater for a while. Now Fields is in that situation where with Dalton and he's most likely most likely going to be thrown in early. Who knows what's going to happen to his career? I think he'll be a decent quarterback, but um, I don't know. I really wish we would have you know taken the shot at him at him at nine and, you know, had something to look for forward to in the future. I mean, um, he's, he's an accurate guy. He didn't turn the ball over much in college and that's what we're looking for. That's why we sided with Teddy Bridgewater to be the starter. So I, I don't understand what George Payton didn't see in him, but he ultimately didn't think he was the franchise guy. And he thought Sertan was too much, to, uh, too good to pass on. Or maybe they're waiting to get a quarterback, but if they also want to compete this year, then that was going to be the highest draft pick that they had in the rebuild. Because they were they were what five and eleven last year, I think. And yeah, one of them one of them I think was a weird win against. I think they were five and eleven, right? Yeah, they were. And but... and that's kind of that's kind of the point where you look at it and say well, this is the highest pick we're going to have in our rebuild, in air quotes, because they're kind of just retooling on the fly and trying to retool that defense. And so they, maybe they look up and say, this is where we get the quarterback, because this is going to be the top, the highest pick we plan to have for the next four years. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That was uh, another thing sitting in the back of my head, like, okay, if they're passing on someone you know with high potential in Justin Fields, then maybe we are going to make a run at Rodgers. And honestly, we probably were. We were going to try to. Maybe Peyton saw like a, pos- a strong possibility that it could happen, and it just ended up not happening. And so if Fields ends up being a really good quarterback, that's honestly going to be one of the worst moves we made. Yeah, it's going to be one of those like all-time laughers, like um... – it, like John like the Bears, the Bears passing before. on Mahomes. Yep. There's a lot of people who messed up in there. The only problem was that draft class was so stacked that some of them don't look as bad. Like 
the Saints passed yeah. on Deshaun Watson, or Mahomes and Watson were smushed in between the Saints pick, but they got Marshawn Lattimore, so it like wasn't that bad because they did get an All Pro corner out of it. But you know, the Bengals John Ross one stinks. Then there's like Mike Williams, I think was picked before Mahomes. Uh, who else? I think yeah. Christian McCaffrey was in there, but that's not too bad. Getting Christian McCaffrey over Mahomes isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, they would have definitely liked Mahomes. And I mean, honestly, when we think about these situations, like the the situation for every team matters. Like, honestly, maybe Andy Reid is the reason why Mahomes is as good as he is. I mean, Mahomes has pure talent. I, I'll give him that. But maybe he wouldn't be as good in Chicago or, you know, Carolina. I mean, you never know. I mean, that's a good point, too. It's – it's just fun to look back and laugh, but it's the same thing with the Broncos. Like who knows if a double coaching yeah. change or Pat Shermer being the most boring offensive coordinator ever, or it, whatever it happens, messes up Justin Fields. It's totally a real possibility. Well, I guess the Broncos are going to have some volatility too. All right. The bears are going to have some volatility over the next couple of years, but maybe, maybe the Broncos would have ruined Justin Fields anyways. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like, honestly, Justin Fields and Pat Shermer would not have gone together well at all. But, yeah, and I probably wouldn't see him working well here. Um, Teddy isn't even really uh, a rushing kind of QB. He's more of just, like, sitting back in the pocket and throwing now. He, he'll he run it every once in a while, like, on a design play. But, um, yeah, Justin Fields relies a lot on the run. Maybe we would change our playbook to his style. I know Pat Shermer couldn't do that for Philip Lindsay, so. Have you ever heard the the crazy stat about Pat Shermer quarterbacks? So um, Pat Shermer has been either an offensive coordinator or a head coach for 13 years now. He was the quarterback's coach with the Eagles with like Donovan McNabb. And then he got okay. to be offensive coordinator starting in 2009. And across 13 years, the best starting quarterback he's ever had is Sam Bradford. Wow. He's, he's never had a top 20 quarterback in 13 years. It's it's a weird, like, they had, like, Mark Mulder on the Rams, and then they drafted Bradford, and then he went to the Browns, and they had, like, Brady Quinn, and then he got fired by the Browns, and he went to, um, I think he went to the Eagles with Chip Kelly, and they had, like, Foles, and then Sam Bradford, and then went to the Vikings, and they got Sam Bradford again, and then uh, the Case Keenum season went to the Giants and he had old Eli Manning and Geno Smith and then Daniel Jones then got fired by the Giants and had Drew Locke and Brett Rippian and Kendall Hinton and now Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, I mean, talk about bad luck. And he still somehow, he still got a job. Like, he's, he's done pretty good without the quarterbacks. It's just made him have the most boring offenses ever. Yeah, I'm, to be completely honest, I still am not a fan of the Pat Shermer signing. Um, I'm glad we didn't fire him this offseason. That would have been – and a lot of people talked about how it would be a rip to um, Drew Locke's, uh, what do you call it, development. And he, he ended up not even being the starter. But, yeah, honestly, him and Teddy Bridgewater uh, back together, that's that's good. But I'm not a huge fan of what Pat Shermer runs. Um, I would like someone younger and more modern. I know he, he does run a few nice concepts and modern concepts. Um, 
he was pretty decent with Daniel Jones, but um, yeah, I, I definitely would like to change our coordinators in the future. If Vic Fangio would like to go down to defensive coordinator, I would be all for that. I, I love him for the defense. Well, I don't know if he could stay in that locker room if he gets demoted to defensive coordinator, but yeah, uh, it, I could never see it happening, but it would still be interesting. I mean, Fangio's been yeah. one of the better defensive coordinators for like 20 years in the NFL, which, you know, he paid his dues the long way, gets a coaching job. It just sucks that he was tied to Drew Locke. His coaching tenure was tied to Drew Locke, and it turned out, you know, Drew Locke's not that great of a quarterback. Yeah, and then injuries have been like a terrible circumstance for him. Like we were loaded with injuries last year. Year before that, he he did have issues with time management, and he still kind of does. But yeah, he's you, really he's. You can go ahead. Oh, uh, I was gonna uh, Daniel Jones a bit earlier, and he might be on the trade block this off season. So maybe that's your next quarterback in the rotating door of crap of Broncos quarterbacks. Oh please no, please no. He could Sam Darnold him. He's got two years left on his contract. He could see if he could turn him around, even though we know it's going to fail. Like, maybe maybe a trade for Daniel Jones next offseason. Uh huh. I'm going to bandwagon if that happens. You're going to hop off here. You're going to stop being miserable. It's been a half decade of just perpetual mediocrity, but Daniel Jones is where you draw the line. That's when you jump off the bandwagon. Yeah, I'm not a, a fan of Daniel Jones at all, um, especially if he does terrible this year and we, we go for him. I, I don't know what I would do. But, yeah, I'm tired of just, like, constant mediocre quarterbacks and not making an effort to get a decent one. Um, but, you know, hopefully I'm wrong. Maybe Teddy Bridgewater proves us wrong. Um, I know a lot of people are comparing him to the situation with the um, Ryan Tannehill, Marcus Mariota situation. I know Teddy Bridgewater, he's older, and I don't know how much older he is than Tannehill, though, to be honest. When but, Tannehill was playing his first year with the Titans, I think Teddy's probably like a year younger or something, because I think Teddy's 28 Oh, now. okay. I yeah, he's Tannehill only four years there. older than Drew Locke, us, and we're blowing them out, and Marcus Mariota gets benched, and he comes in and does well. So, But that's actually a flip-flop for us. Now Teddy Bridgewater is a starter, so... Hopefully he can change. He can turn his career around. I would love to see that. I mean, he has a great story. He's a great guy. He's great for the locker room. He's he's been nothing but like respectful to our team ever since he came. And he was like that with the Saints and Panthers too. So I would love to see him do well here. And also those four games he was on the Jets. There were also four games where Teddy Bridgewater was on the Jets <laughs> with Sam Darnold. <laughs> If you had to guess, how many games do you think Drew Locke plays in this year? Because obviously, if something goes wrong, they have probably no issues going back and forth between the two. That's a good question. I think um, maybe like midseason, Teddy Bridgewater throws a few picks in like the first half, and they try to like roll with Drew Locke, come in in the second half if if they're down a bit. Um, uh, In terms of him starting this year, I don't see him starting any games. Um, unless Teddy gets injured, I, hopefully he doesn't get injured, but, um, I could see him playing in like maybe two games. Okay. I mean, that's kind of where I would have guessed is in like the four range, like four or five, unless there's an injury situation, then maybe it's a little more, but 
under normal circumstance. I mean, optimistically, Teddy starts all 16 for the Broncos, but it I think that realistically is going to be like four or five probably, but that's kind of the same range you were talking about. It's not like Teddy's going to start two and a half games, get benched, and Drew's going to play the entire rest of the season. At least that's not what I see happening. Yeah, I definitely think we're gonna we're this uh, the Raiders game last season wasn't the last of Drew Locke that we're gonna see. I think we're definitely gonna see him in this season. I mean, there's no way in my mind that Bridgewater actually plays every offensive snap for us this season. But now Drew Locke's into the role that the rest of his career is gonna be, which is backup quarterback like AJ McCarron and like uh, all those mid-level like Logan Woodside and guys like that that are just career backups for the next like eight to 10 years. That's probably where Drew Locke's going to sit. I don't think he's so bad like Blake Bortles that he's going to be out of the league, but he's probably a career backup. Yeah. So I'd like to point out that the other day, I thought it was interesting. I was, I was going to post about this, but Rick Fangio pointed out that he was like Drew Locke. He's well capable or no, he didn't say he's well capable. He said Drew Locke can be, um, a quality start starting quarterback in this league. And so I just brought to mind, like, and I know a few uh, articles posted about this, like maybe we're going to look into trading him. If Teddy Bridgewater does well, like maybe trade him by the trade deadline. But at the same time, I don't know. I feel like we'll um, want to keep him in like as a contingency plan. Um, I just thought that was interesting. Like why he has to bring that out. Maybe he was bringing that up just to like, not really bash Drew Locke too much, like give him some more respect on, because I know he mentioned uh, multiple times that the quarterback competition was super close. So maybe it was just like a kind of backing up his claim, but I don't know. I mean, I don't want to be cruel, but if Drew Locke can't start for the Broncos, I don't think the Broncos don't have quality starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So if he can't start for the Broncos, I don't think he's a quality starting quarterback <laughs> yeah and so when he brought that up it, it little it confused me a little bit it threw, threw me off I don't know if he's just trying to like what team like what a... team does he think is gonna if not the Broncos <laughs> what team is gonna take Drew Locke is it the Eagles the Eagles with Minshew and Jalen Hurts and Joe Flacco yeah obviously he wasn't about to say any teams but I have saw some articles already like two days ago that um like this Falcons reporter was um, saying that the Falcons should trade Matt Ryan to the Broncos for like Drew Locke and two firsts. And I was like, oh, hell no, definitely not. But, and I saw a few Falcons fans even talking about that possibility. Like uh, after Teddy Bridgewater was not starting quarterback, they were wanting Drew Locke and trying to get rid of Matt Ryan. And I was like, I don't know about that. See, if I think it was reported that the Panthers offered like the number eight pick in the draft and a fifth for Matthew Stafford, if that's the rate for Matthew Stafford, then Matt Ryan is not getting two first round picks. And I mean, Drew Locke's yes. kind of a throw in, but I, I I don't think he's going for two first round picks anytime soon, but maybe one first round pick. Maybe if it's Drew Locke and the, I don't know, the 13 pick in the draft, like the Broncos might have at the end of the season, then maybe that makes more sense. Yeah, and it's nothing. To, it's nothing on Matt Ryan. I think he's pretty underrated. But um, I honestly, I don't. I wouldn't be too mad if we got him. But the fact that they're uh, suggesting two first round picks would make it a fair deal is just pretty crazy. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. But I don't know what the Falcons want to do at this point. The Falcons should be better than they were last year, which was worst team in the NFC. But 
I don't. I just don't know what the Falcons want to do. That would be a perfect trade, Broncos and Falcons, because I don't know what either team really wants to do at this point. So maybe they can just trade players and picks back and forth. Yeah, I don't know uh, how their defense is doing. I don't know too much uh, about their bad. defense. <laughs> it's bad. The Falcons. <laughs> yeah, I figured. Bad. Yeah, I figured. So I don't know if they're going to be tanking or just be really terrible this year. But yeah, I don't know. Or they could be the team that they've been for the the past four years before last year, which is just 350 yards. Well, yeah, I was going to say they've been post-Super Bowl. They've just been 350 passing yards, three touchdowns, two picks, and both teams are going to score in the 30s, and it's a coin toss. Who wins? They'll end up like 8-8. Eight and eight. <laughs> That's kind of what they were every year until last year, where they just blew a historically bad amount of leagues. Honestly, I just I would rather just be a terrible team than constantly blowing leads and like having very high stats and just like not, not meeting expectations at all. But for all your suffering and Todd Gurley accidentally scoring a touchdown, you did get Kyle Pitts to show for it. Uh, that worked for them. We'll find out, I guess. I mean, everyone assumes Kyle Pitts is going to be awesome, but we'll see if it works out. It's like how um, remember the Raiders when they like traded Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper and they dumped like everyone after and then just were terrible. I think it was like 2018 or something. Yeah. It doesn't feel as good to know that your reward for that was Cleveland Furl. Doesn't feel as good as the Jaguars tanking and your reward is Trevor Lawrence. So it kind of depends on the player you get from the draft pick. Yeah. So tonight we play the Rams I know we have uh, Von Miller and, and Cortland Sun back in action. Um, we're, we're having a lot of our starters playing, actually. We've been doing that the last two games as well. And I saw something on Twitter was talking about how some of the most, like, uh, reliable and, like, best coaches in the game, they play a lot of their starters in preseason. And I just found that interesting because, you know, they're very successful, but they're also risking the players' health in the, the games. But it somehow works out for them. Like, what what do you think about that? Well, I think we were actually talking about this last week because of the ETN situation is that Mm -hmm. the fluke injuries are going to happen no matter what. Like for Carl Lawson, it happened in practice. And then for ETN, it happened to happen in a game. But I think there's going to be a certain number of those. And we shouldn't like Monday morning quarterback and say, Sean McVay is a genius for not playing his starters. And Urban Meyer is terrible for playing Travis ETN and getting him hurt. Like it's just kind of, the result of what happens, but um, in general, I think for just physical ailments of the body, it's better to not play starters in the preseason uh, because football is already such a long season and a grind towards the end. But I would say if you've got guys cut, like Joe Burrow is going to play tonight and Cortland Sutton is going to play tonight, and they had similar type injuries last year. Like those mm-hmm. two, I could understand like taking snaps just because They've been out for so long, and maybe you don't want their first in-game snaps to be in week one. So those ones, I get it, but coaches coaches are going to do whatever, and I don't think either way makes a significant difference. I don't think playing six snaps or two drives compared to no drives is really doing that much for or against your chances. Yeah, and Teddy Bridgewater, he's starting again tonight, and I know a lot of fans are frustrated about that, but... I mean, he. I guess he's got to get his momentum going into the season, um, get a la- little last few snaps. I think he's going to play like two series, and then that'll be it, and then Drew Locke will come in. But 
I'm not really too mad about it. Um, you know, injuries are always going to happen. You can't really blame it on the coaches too much. It, you know, as long as they're not playing that much, and it honestly doesn't bother me, even with all the injuries we went through last season. Yeah, and it's kind of a preseason type of conversation because, you know, last year we came back and injuries were way up, but also it was just a weird anomaly season. So it's it's a conversation that doesn't have a lot of good data behind it either way. But some coaches have that gut feel of, like, what they want to do, and I don't think it matters that much. But, like, with the ETN situation, like, there's always going to be a few ETNs that happen every preseason. I think – happened to Jordy Nelson one year too. And he was like, never the same after, but you're going to have a few of those no matter what. Yeah. It's, it's always going to happen. This whole topic is opinionated and people have to realize that like, it was a very short off season um, in 2020. So obviously that stuff was going to happen. And, you know, now that they're playing also the fact that they're playing 16 games, you're going to need more uh, reps and more, you know, practicing in more game situations before you're going to actually play that full of a season. I mean, you don't want to go 16 games without having that much preseason action. Um, you know, they they have to be ready for it, and fans have to realize that you know the injuries are gonna they're gonna happen regardless of how much they're playing in preseason. Because you know, there's still some situations where players will come in for only a few reps, and boom, you know, leg injury, they're out for a few weeks. So. And to the point of the Broncos to bring it back full circle, like there's not Judy is the one they kind of expect to be the wide receiver one next year. Like there's not really that kind of pressure on Cortland Sutton where he has to be a 1500 yard receiver next year. Like they kind of think he's the wide receiver two and Judy's wide receiver one. So maybe that reduces some kind of the pressure. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. I don't, I to be honest, I look at the Broncos like with Fant and Hamler and Judy and uh, Tim Patrick and Sutton, and I'm like, this is a deep wide receiver core that's just lacking a true wide receiver one. Like if they had Amari Cooper or they had like Michael Thomas, I'd look at that like that's one of the best skill position groups in the NFL. But they, it's like they're just lacking a number one guy at this point. And other than that, they've got a bunch of guys I look at. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's like four 700-yard receivers next year. Yeah, and honestly, I feel like it's not so much that like one of them isn't super talented because I think Judy is well capable of that and as well for Sutton. And, I mean, honestly, Tim Patrick could be that guy too. He, I mean, he kind of was our best receiver last year. It's just the fact that they're all so close to each other in terms of talent, that's what makes it kind of like, all right, we got – two we got three uh wide receiver twos and then we got some wide receiver threes and it's kind of like we don't Noah have Fant, that league which no one knows what to do with Noah Fant he's just a freakish human being that catches passes and no one knows what to do with him at this point yeah I really wish we'd u- utilize him more and you know he's dealt with some injuries but like Noah Fant is well capable of being top five in the league in my opinion yeah I think he's really good so uh That's all I have for today. I appreciate you coming on and check out Broncos Avenue. I've been following him for a while. So even if you're not a Broncos fan, like I just follow him because he's good updates on what's going on in Denver. So uh, anything else you got going on or you want to plug real quick? Because he gave us a half hour of your time. So any other cool things? Uh, Nothing much. I appreciate it for having me. Thanks for the kind words. Uh, It was nice talking to you. And for the fans that listen to this, go Broncos.
Yes. Good luck to you as we proceed into the hellscape of week one. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully everything goes well. Everybody stays healthy. Yes. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.